Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's the Autosport Podcast. We look back at another brilliant Sebastian Auger Monte Carlo rally win and ask if anyone can stop him in 2018. The World Rally Championship returned with a bang last weekend with Sebastian Ogier winning the Monte Carlo Rally. Another big performance from the M Sport Ford driver starting off his title defence in perfect style. I'm your host, Ed Stewart, and joining me to look back at the event is first David Evans, Autosports Rally's editor. Now, David, the World Rally Championship's been on the up for the past 12 months or so. What was the whole atmosphere, the vibe like at the Monte Carlo Rally? It was uh, it was fantastic, Ed. You know, I I thought the start of the 17 season there was so much hype through 16 towards those new cars and and some driver changes and everything and i kind of thought it would be quite hard to top 2017 but the first round monte carlo last week absolutely uh, it did it was uh, it was one of the best events i've covered in uh, in a long time and plenty of snow and ice which is always that always Plen- not just the snow and ice there though as well you know we had loads of rain we had mud we had sun we had ice we had everything you know it was for for far too long we've had a a dry monte that's essentially a a san remo rally in in january or something particularly when we we're near ardèche uh, and based out of valence it was it was not always the best of conditions but this time we had a we had a proper Monty. 
And our second guest is Jack Benyon. Now, Jack, you were not out at the Monte Carlo rally, but you were able to follow the event in tremendous depth, thanks to the fact that this was the first WRC event broadcast live in full. How did you find that? Yeah, it was fantastic coverage. Um, really sort of groundbreaking scheme to uh, to show sort of live onboards and things via, via the WRC all live platform. Uh, a few teething issues, I think, as, as to be as expected for taking on a project of that size. And, um, you know, it must have been a, a real big undertaking for the for the crews and, and everyone involved to, to kind of pull all that together, if you like. But seeing some of the onboard, David and I were, were talking earlier, there was a, a good three and a half minutes of, of Craig Breen on board from a from a live stage. And just listening to the, to the pace notes from the co-driver, Scott Martin, and watching Craig sort of, plough his way through Sisteron in the dark and in, in, in real ice was was just a fantastic experience. And that's the kind of thing that you really want to open up people outside of the sport to about why rallying is so good. I think, you know, we do have to take our hats off to them. Uh, having been there and seen these guys running around, they did a fantastic job. They really did. I know I'm fully aware that there were some some teething issues, like you say, and and uh, some people in, in certainly in Britain, I got some emails from from some fairly disgruntled folk, but it was the first time and they did it in the hardest possible circumstances, you know, to try and run live coverage out of somewhere that you sometimes really struggle to get a, a mobile signal, you know, the middle of the French Alps. It was it was brilliant. And it's we've been waiting for this for so long. I remember the first conversation with David Richards about being able to watch live coverage on your mobile phone 15 years ago. And finally, we're there. Uh, and it's a great platform now to, to build off. Now, David. It does seem to be business as usual. So the fifth time in a row Sebastian Auger has won the Monte Carlo rally. So is this just the usual case of him being a cut above or was there some luck at play or could it even be a blend of the two and maybe even other factors? <laughs> it, definitely. You know, you could you could take a look at, at the results and say, um, you know, that Auger was, was quite lucky he, for sure. You know, he had a spin in Sisteron, the first stage. Uh, he, he then had a spin on the, on the Friday at a hairpin. Um, but those are two mistakes, and what he always maintained, and what you absolutely, what he's absolutely right in with Monte Carlo, is everybody will make mistakes. Nothing sure, you know, you're not going to get it all right on an event like that, particularly such a tricky one as one we just had. It's about containing that mistake and making as small a mistake as you possibly can, and that's what he did. You know, in in that uh, there's there's two or three hairpins at the top of Sistron which are always always covered in ice regardless of the weather that you've had before you go so high sir, so high and they're north facing uh, there's always ice there everybody knew about that ice and Ogier's spin was it was a half spin you know the car didn't rotate completely he remained completely calm he brought the car back and carried on you know someone like Thierry Neville was off the road for something like 4 minutes you know, there's so many times we've seen, I remember years ago, Francois Delacour telling me, you know, you get to the top of, of Sisteron, the Col de Fombelle, and he said, you think in your head, now I'm going slow, slowly enough. He said, you go into the first step and you have to tell yourself to slow down again, because no matter how slow you're going, you've got to be slower. You know, there's times that I've seen cars up there and you can walk past them because obviously that's four kilometers of a, say, a 30K stage that is pure ice, but you have to take a slick tire. Because for the other twenty six kilometers, you're crucified if if you're on a if you're on a stud, uh, and Ogier just knew all of that, and he was able to just rein himself in um, at this. You know, in my report, I wrote about three key points where the rest of the the, the, the crews could have had a go at him. That was one. Uh, the second one was when the snow came on sun, on Saturday morning. Uh, and there was a lot of snow overnight, uh, Friday into Saturday. And fine, he had the best place on the road because he was quite a long way further back. So the cr Craig Breen lost three minutes to him, you know, trying to clear the road 
uh, for everybody else. And, and, and Seb was further back on the road, so he made the most of that. But he didn't make a mistake. We saw other crews go off the road. Um, you know, and with snow, you only have to nudge a snowbank and you'll fill all of the air intakes at the front with snow. You then have to stop, clear them out because your engine temperature goes up. He knows this stuff and he kept out of the snowbanks. He kept his nose clean through the snow. And then the final opportunity they had was Friday morning when there was a lot, uh, sorry, Sunday morning when there was a lot of ice around um, over the top of Turini. Uh, it was the last 6K was, was ice all the way down. And there was potentially a chance for people to gamble then and, and take a slick tire or, or something. But by then, Ogier was 30 seconds clear. Um, and he, he took a mixed package, studs and, and, and super softs or softs, I can't remember which. But he just he managed that risk again. So he made his mistakes. He made small mistakes, uh, and he just he just drove so sensibly. But you know, for me, that time on Saturday morning when he took a minute out of Tanak in the snow, that finished it. And from then on, he was managing it. I think you can you can roughly divide rally drivers into two categories: the ones that want to win the big events and the ones that are there to win a championship. And there's absolutely no doubt in that Sebastian Ogier is always there to win a championship. And some of the things that David has just described there, we see at every single rally with Sebastian, not just Monte Carlo. Um, obviously, he knows the area very well. He's, you know, he's fairly local to the rally, but that's not something that's specific to that event. He is always considering the big picture. He's always looking at what he needs to do to shake off the competition. And there was, as David said, there was three or four occasions on that rally where there was a good chance for some of the other drivers to really zero in on him and, and take some time. And he, in fact, took time out of them in most occasions because he knows where he needs to push and where he needs to back off. And that's what makes Sebastian Ogier so special. But the irony is it's almost as if in focusing on the bigger picture in the championship, you automatically mean you win more rallies I mean I know last year Auger didn't win as much as you normally expect him to he still won the championship but because you make those decisions you're more often than not there at the end you're more often than not not losing much time so it's a state of mind thing isn't it you know he went into Monty already thinking championship and everybody talks about that yeah I think you know Meek said the same Neville said the same thinking about the championship you know you can only lose here but he he's about the only one that really actually played that out you know, I can't think of another driver that didn't make a, a bigger mistake than him. You know, we saw both Citroens off the road. Uh, Elvin had a spin. Elvin had a puncture. Mickelson had, you know, everybody had something bigger than, than he had. Uh, and it is, he has that ability to set his, his frame of mind. And he's not stressed if he doesn't win now. You know, I think when he first started at Volkswagen, it was all about winning. We saw him winning nine rallies in a year, some of these incredible things. And I'm sure there was still a little bit of, he knew what Loeb's records had been and he wanted to beat those. He's now far more mature, more relaxed. And he's just after championships. He said to me at the start of of this year, you know, I want to win more rallies this year. We only won two last year. He said, but you know, if I win two and I take the championship, then fine, that's enough for me. It's, It's all about the bigger picture. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? When drivers have a certain level of success, it all comes more yeah. s- simply to them it's success breeds success isn't Absolutely. it so you're saying jack he doesn't feel having to force the issue or anything he's just doing what he does and i guess the conditions that were play often in the monte carlo rally. I and mean, some of the onboards were fantastic where you sort of see people going incredibly slowly and they turn and they're still struggling to get the car in it's like the kind of conditions people have experienced on the roads when it's at the worst you're know, like driving around the residential road and you try and turn at 10 miles an hour and you just got no front you know what, what puts that into into context is i remember in in Cisteron, you, a car will go off the road and you don't bother trying to push the car back onto the road you push it sideways you know there's so little traction the ice is so thick and they're on so, you know slick tires. You can actually push the car sideways across the ice. It's it is unbelievably tricky up there. 
So presumably everything we saw says Sebastian Auger is indeed, as usual, favourite for the championship then, isn't he? No. Yeah, fine. Okay, he won Monte Carlo, but... I think the other thing in Monte that we saw, there are so many other drivers now that are coming and they will, not every event is like Monte. We go to Sweden, we've got very consistent conditions in Sweden that from what we hear already, there's good snow there, good snow banks. So, you know, stud retention and stuff will be less of an issue. You're going to get a rally where you've got consistent conditions. You need to be quick. You know, you can't play the percentage game that, that Auger arguably played in Monte everywhere. Certainly go somewhere like Finland, forget it. You know, you'll be fifth, sixth, seventh. So these guys that are going to come in that are showing the real speed, I think the pe- the people like Neville, Mickelson, Greg Breen even, you know, I know he had a really tricky Monte, but for sure, you know, he's got an ability uh, to play a, a very consistent season. Uh, there are so many drivers for me this year that, that could win the championship. Is Ogier favourite? For everything that we've just said, I guess he has to be. But does he have the quickest package? I'm not sure anymore. You know, the Toyota was so quick um, in there. You know, Tommy Mekinen said that for him, that was his biggest result since taking over. Beats winning in Finland, winning in Sweden, because like Tommy said, you know, it was, that's their backyard. You know, they went, they were out of their comfort zone in in Monty and they were really really quick I think the the driver lineup something to to really consider for Toyota as well for me I mean looking at how strong it looks how quickly Tanak came on in in Monty you've got Latvala and and also Lappi and you know I think Lappi's a kind of maybe a little bit of an under under the radar type person in terms of where he is in the lineup you know he's not expected to win multiple rallies this year really I wouldn't say I don't think that's the expectation of Lappi he's going to learn a lot of the events for the first time and and Monty I don't think would have been one of his favorite events to start with you know it's not really his kind of uh, his kind of event but he was still very very strong I know he made that little sort of mistake at, at the end of the rally but he looked really good and I think their lineup compared to compared to the other lineups I think it has to be considered the strongest lineup now or at least very very much up there then it comes down to the question of how much the Auger factor plays into it that he does know how to control events he better than anyone knows that as you say if he goes to Finland finish six you probably think yeah that's fine I don't need to force the issue I'll, I'll take that that's that's limiting the potential damage whereas nobody else has won a WRC title no. who's competing no nobody not called Sebastian has won one since about 1920 I think it's a, <laughs> a statistic so that gives him a tremendous advantage doesn't it so you look at the say the percentage performance difference of the leading car so even if you're in the second third best car if the driver is getting 100 yeah. percent out of what's possible from that package yeah. and others are all tripping over each other exactly. trying to He's assert themselves the yeah. points are ticking over you know that's what he absolutely gets every year and you know they set as i'm sure every driver and every team he sets himself a we need 18 19 points from every round well, i remember reading in your report where he said his objective was to lead by 30 seconds yeah. at the end of day two. Yeah. And obviously, there and was there that period was. where Tanat was closing in and it was, what was it, 33 and a half seconds. Yeah. So, bang on schedule. And, of course, he turns yeah. that into a, almost double that margin, yeah. almost a minute, when he eventually uh, he has He definitely Tanat. has the ability to think about an event and then to put those plans into practice and actually do, you know, because every, every driver has a plan of attack. Uh, but so often, you know, we see it go wrong. But, you know, I think the one thing I would say, Jack, about your, I think you're quite right about the, the Toyota drivers and the squad that they've got there. But still, you look, you have to look at Hyundai in terms of drivers and drive the ability of those drivers. And I would say that Hyundai is right up there. But for me, the biggest question remains for both Hyundai and Toyota is how will they be managed? Because at some point, we are going to see an issue where Neville and Mickelson want to win these, these events. Um, and then equally, you know, you're going to have Hayden Padden in 
I think Wes is, he's someone like Portugal. He's going to come in with an amazing place on the road. He's probably going to lead by 15, 20 seconds at the end of day one. He's not going to want to give up that win to, to, to hand the more points to Neville or Mickelson. You know, there's there's real issues here for the team principals to actually deal and manage with these guys. I think Hyundai have got a, They've they've got to have a reliable car for the year as well. You know, it's not just it's not just being able to manage the drivers. They need the drivers to get there in the first place. And Monty was a perfect cross section of of what we saw so many times in 2017, wasn't it? You know, although the mistake from Nerva wasn't a big one, it did put him effectively out of the running for the win. And then we had you know Mickelson retiring with with the alternator problem. So that was a perfect kind of cross section of where Hyundai season went wrong. You've got two fantastic drivers who are capable of winning an event. One of them goes off, and one of them has a, a technical issue. And if Hyundai haven't corrected some of the issues that they had last year with the suspension and things like that, and you know obviously cars are going to retire and, and that's going to happen but there's got to be an element of improved reliability for Hyundai if they're going to challenge for the championship I, I agree 100% with that but just to dive in and just to just before Hyundai ring us the alternator problem I thought exactly the same as you but it turns out that on the data that they they, they downloaded when Neville had gone off the road earlier he the air intake had sucked something in it was a bit of dirt it was a, a small stone or something and that had hit the belt and it had split the belt uh, the belt had then wrapped itself around the alternator so was it a technical issue I, it was ultimately but it's cause and effect isn't it um, but, but it all adds up to a driver slash team combination yeah that is not making the most of their package exactly exactly so, uh, same as we saw same yeah. as we saw last year they've got massive potential there uh, but they've got to deliver and I think from what I can understand from the drivers, the car will be more reliable this year. And there's no doubt, you know, when we saw when the road dried out a bit in Monty, blimey, that's a, it's a properly quick car. And Neville, you know, absolutely left everybody for, for dust. Um, so the car's got it. But yeah, it's about putting the team performance together. Never been a question about Nerville's pace, has there? You know, it's, that's never never been an issue, really. It's it, his his issue is going to be replicating that OJ as, sort of aspect of controlling yeah. the events from from the front and being able to to really put them together. And I think Mickelson, you know, he's almost certainly made a step forward from when he was at Volkswagen, um, but you know, he struggled to beat OJ consistently in the same car. So the question, there's always questions about those two compared to OJ. I think from the manufacturer's point of view, I think Hyundai have got a magnificent chance of taking the championship this year and it'll be a real failure if they, do, if they don't seal that this year. From a driver's championship point of view, you know, it's still very difficult to look past OJ because of you know, what we've already mentioned, I think. Yeah. And I guess the fact there are so many potential opponents, should we say, to OJ, means they could end up spending the whole year tripping over each other. Yeah. Because nobody will kind of assert themselves as the main challenger. I guess that's the concern, isn't it? Because it, in order to do that, you will need to bank the points. You know, will finish fifth, yeah, which is fine. But without some of those mistakes, could easily bank some more points and wouldn't have been winning necessarily. But at least just maximising. Yeah, the trouble is got. they're all trying so hard to match Ogier, and Ogier has that ability to just serenely carry on uh whereas you know maybe we used to see this a lot with Sebastian Loeb that he could drive at 95 percent and his 95 percent required everybody else to be at 105 percent and inevitably those accidents will come um so I don't know we'll we'll see I think the, the one thing that we can say is 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 arguably different is the 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 competition I don't think has ever been this strong for Sebastian Auger in terms of cars or drivers yeah. so we've got 
very, very strong cars. Some would argue the Ford isn't the best car now and, and we've got other cars that are better. And then we've got fa- some fantastic driver lineups that really appear ready to kind of challenge Sebastian. And what we've not seen is really a single event where multiple manufacturers and multiple top quality drivers have challenged OJ on a stage-by-stage basis for a whole event. So nice. if we're looking at things that could be different for, for 2018 in terms of, yes, Monty looks quite straightforward, OJ's run away with it and he's managed the event mm. in the same kind of way he always does. What we are looking at is, although it didn't quite come across in Monty, a you know, much stronger opposition in terms of drivers and cars for Sebastian for this year, I think. I think you look, I mean, you look at the next round in Sweden and you'd have to say that Toyota, perhaps a favourite there, you know, their car will work very well there. Uh, and it's definitely got the speed and they've got um, two Finns and an Estonian that know the conditions and know. So that's their favourite there. Then you go to Corsica and you'd have to say that um, Citroen, you know, the, the showing that we had from them last year and any time that C3 looks at dry tarmac, it's super quick and, you know, meet absolutely has the ability to win i would say now every rally uh you know the one that you'd question would be finland and he's won that already so he can he can win everywhere and of course at corsica we're going to see um sebastian Loeb back for the first time as well so it's plenty to look forward to this year and i guess if you're chris meek fourth place is mm. a pretty good return for the monty isn't it chris meek was over the moon with with that result he was deeply frustrated in the way that they got there because you know by his own admission he wasn't there on pace he wasn't there on speed uh, you look at his stage times and he had no business really being in fourth. Uh, the car is not up to that position uh, in a Monty spec yet. So they've got a lot of work. They looked into that one um, and they've got to, they've certainly got to improve the car. But for me, you know, the big one for them is Sweden. The car was catastrophic last year in Sweden. Um, and they've done a lot of work on low grip um, performance you know, we we saw the car second half of last year after the shocker that they had in Poland. You know, they really improved. That they worked a lot with the centre diff and they worked with the trend, with the with the dampers and stuff. Uh, but Sweden is a massive acid test for them to see if they if they've been able to bounce back and and get the car back where it should be. I think for me on, on the onset that looked like one of Chris Meek's most impressive performances because so many times we've seen events like that where the car hasn't been quite right and Chris has pushed too hard, gone off massively trying to to make up for that performance differential. And in actual fact, what we got was um, him, very funny quote that you managed to pick up actually, where he says, uh, it's only taken me 30 years to work out that, you know, you have to be boring sometimes to to do well. And, uh, you know, that's probably one of, uh, been one of the biggest sort of criticisms of Chris is that he, you know, he overdrives the car and and tries to find performance that isn't there or that is, you know, it's just too much and too much Mm. of a tight window to actually access it. And what we actually saw over Monty was, you know, him in a very difficult event that he's retired from for the last two years, is it? He definitely retired Mm. last year. Mm. Um, so we saw him, you know, maybe not as much experience as, as the likes of OJ completing these events all the time. And he, you know, he drove it to the end and the four finish was, was a, a, you know, justification. Also took power stage points as well. So. Exactly. So nicking the points mm. where he can. I always say you win championships on your bad days. Or yeah, exactly. bad events. So this wasn't a great event. So to come out with fourth and power stage yeah. point, win but they points, knew, that's fantastic, isn't they it? They knew that last, the last day, you know, the second run over Calder Browse, they knew it would come to them a little bit. The weather helped it dried out a bit there was less gravel around but i would say you know from from chris's perspective you look back from spain onwards last year he was a different driver he won spain he won spain on brilliant speed but then you look at his results in australia and and in gb gb in particular i can't remember where he was fifth or sixth or something but he wasn't far away and he absolutely drove for me really really well there because a couple of years ago, we would have seen him trying to snatch it. And we saw it in Australia all those years ago when he rolled and he crashed and he was just trying so hard. 
but since Spain, for me, I think he's settled down a bit and he he's kind of got it now. Um, and yeah, those two and this Monty result were, were great because there were times, you know, I f- sometimes feared for Chris that, you know, you could see that he was getting frustrated and he'd perhaps try a bit harder, but he didn't. Uh, and the result came to it. The context was really important for GB because the, the car had obviously been a bit, you know, it misbehaved on tricky surfaces and they'd also done the testing in the south of France. So for him yeah. to come in and deliver that performance at, at GB, um, as he did, you know, as you said, he, you know, the, the 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 finish didn't appear that hard. But when you actually consider the context of the situation, that was a that was a massive result for him. And I agree, the the, the second half of last season, after he you know after he came back and, and won Spain, he was definitely a different driver from 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 looking from the outside. Anyway, would it be stretching a point to say that with the success he's had now, he's won five events, that's maybe given him enough to just sort of calm things down a bit and not force the issue as much or is the sample set not big enough to no, make think, such an assumption I think it is I think you know he's he's very very well established in the team now you know in 2015 we saw Loeb coming back to do Monte Carlo as a one-off and I remember at the time Meek was quite unsettled by by him coming back in but now Chris's feet are under the table he knows that that's his team and he's brought the team around him you know he got on very very well with Yves Maton um, but I'm not sure that Eve was necessarily the right man to be in that job anymore. He'd been doing it a long time and he'd become, I'm sure, frustrated with, with their relationship, this constant peak and trough. And, you know, they've got Pierre Boudard in there now, you know, a new team principal. Um, so I'm sure that him and Chris will work very well together. But it's Chris's team and everybody follows him and he seems now to have a mentality that he knows what's needed. I don't know, we're we talking too early here. I, for me, he is a championship contender, absolutely. He's got the experience, he knows the rallies, he's won rallies, um, and he's hopefully this year he's going to have a car under him to, uh, that he can deliver in. Looking at the battle up front, we talked about how strong the Toyota lineup is. Oitanek was second, Yerry Matilatvila was third. There were both points where it looked like both of them could get into position to threaten Auger. Do you think there was any way for either of those two to, to have won this event, or do you think that second and third is, is the return they needed and that was that was the level they should have been at. There were times when, when you looked at it and you, if you'd taken, say, stage 10 in isolation where uh, Tanak took 15 seconds off Augier on Augier and this this stage going out, I can't remember the name of it, but it goes out, it ends in corpse um, and Augier goes out past his own, where his house in uh, Forêt Saint-Julien, uh, the tiny village outside a gap where he lives so he he knew that road i mean it doesn't really mean anything to have driven him in a in a road car but he knew where he was going uh and to lose 15 seconds to tanak there for any other driver psychologically that would have hit them quite hard Ogier dealt with it he'd taken a minute off him in stage nine before he was managing it so from the outside you could look in and say oh yeah he had an opportunity there but he didn't really because Ogier was always he always had a bit more to give you know, right from the time they finished Sister on and he was ahead, comfortably ahead, psychologically, it's a massive step forward. Um, and he dealt with everything. Some really nasty, horrible conditions on Friday as well, uh, when it was really hard to know whether you needed the soft or the super soft. He rose above all of that. You know, he knew that nobody, and at no point in Monte on Friday were you going to be on the ideal tyre. He could deal with it. You know, he, he had the ability to drive where the pace was and where the performance was. He'd push there. Uh, and throttle back where it wasn't. So, yeah, you could look and say Latvala and Tanak had a chance, but really they they didn't. It does seem that this event, even for a Monte Carlo rally, was particularly challenging. You know, you have a level for how challenging it is, but it seems to be even even more so 
absolutely there was and it was kind of the the fact that you had a bit of everything you know the the as i said said earlier you know we've had so many dry monties that are really quite dull um but this one when the rain came on friday um it, it really challenged everybody because you know the second run through the corner cutting it brings so much mud out onto the road um the ice note crews had a massive job between the stages to relay all of the information to i'd say Scott Martin and I were talking about this, you know, the, the number of changes, I'd say every other corner they were changing the note and it's a massive pressure uh, on them. But then Friday late afternoon, um, you, you kind of got the feeling that the, ra- the rain was going to stop and it was going to snow. It was that feeling, you know, the rain thickens a bit, the temperature drops and you're surrounded by the mountains in Gap and you lost, the, the mist came in, uh, as I say, you could feel the ambient going down and you knew the snow was coming. Uh, and that the excitement in the service park when that started to happen was tremendous. And it's it's almost like, you know, the night before when you're going to school on a Monday morning and there's talk on the weather forecast that it's going to snow, that sense of anticipation that you might get the day off and you might have fun the next day. That's what we got on Friday night in, in Gap. You know, everybody was looking forward, apart from Craig Breen, who was the poor chap who's going to have to deal with it first on the road. I'm surprised you can remember that feeling of, of school anticipation. It wouldn't surprise <laughs> me if Jack would. But uh. no, my son Oliver tells me all about it, and my daughter Georgia, obviously. Ah, excellent. So it's a, it's a reminder. Now, Jack, one driver we've only very briefly mentioned is Elfin Evans in the other M Sport Ford. He finished six, so almost five minutes down. Inconclusive in terms of what we can expect for him up against Auger. Obviously, last year he was in an M Sport car, but with the D-Mac tyres rather than Michelin's. Yeah, very difficult. First time we've seen. Elvin on the on the same tyres as everybody else in the in the 2017 cars, if you like. So good to see him out and and getting that chance. Very difficult to kind of analyse. I think where where we think Evans is after that rally. Obviously the the puncture and stuff set him back on the on the Thursday night, didn't it? And and that sort of sent him down the order. He didn't really sort of drop out of the top six in in sort of stage time. So that was quite impressive for his you know his first event back with the with the proper tyres. Um, would have liked to have seen a little bit more from him. Really, I think is is probably the the kind of overall feeling. I think once. Thursday was out of the way you know the thing that I thought was so impressive about Elvin last year was he had many many difficult first days uh, many many difficult first days with not least Monty last year exactly and so often the the difference between Elvin last year and in previous years was that he bounced back from that and delivered yeah. strong stage times and fought his way back into the order he did set a couple of good stage times and did get a couple of stage wins in yeah. the end didn't he so that, yeah. that was good to see um, but yeah I don't know if I don't know if we just expected maybe a little bit more from him after, you know, that first day had been out of the way. But but like I said, very difficult to judge. And, you know, Monty's a very specialist event where, you know, it's 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 never easy to get it right un, under any circumstances. So very, very difficult to judge Elvin to, to start with, I think. I th- I think you're absolutely right there. He 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 himself would have been disappointed. He could have been fourth. But, you know, psychologically that stopping and changing that puncture on the first stage was a big deal for him. Uh and for me, the middle of the event was very strong for him. Uh, where he lost was was on the final day on, on Sunday. And, you know, to lose that, what was it, um, fifth place by a second to, to, to Thierry, uh, he'll be kicking himself about that. And he simply lost it because on the first run over Turini down the hill, he had a couple of scares and, and he lost confidence. Um, and on those kind of stages, you absolutely need 100% belief in everything that's around you. Uh, and he and he lost it. And without that Sunday, I think he could he could have been fourth. Um, and that's perhaps more representative. But I was impressed with the way he dealt with all of that. You know, he had the puncture, he got over it, and he cracked on. Um, and it's it's he showed again that real strength of character that is, is really coming through as a character strength for him. So the kind of bottom line summary, have we actually learned anything from the Monte Carlo rally that we didn't know 
before in terms of what we can expect in 2018? Absolutely. What we've learned for me is the big threat from Toyota. Uh, the, the the speed of their car, they've got a good resource behind them. They've got three tremendous drivers. You know, let's Lappy, that was his, probably his weakest event. Okay, there are some rallies coming that he hasn't been to or doesn't have a lot of experience, but to drive the way that he drove um, was super because the guy absolutely wasn't on the limit. And seventh place again. Yeah, points but return, he should have been experience. should have been fourth. You know, he slid off on that on that right hander on the gravel on the power stage. But there was a reason. You know, he was pushing a bit harder on it on the power stage. But they are a massive threat for me. Uh, which f- kind of more. You know, you look back twelve months ago, and we everybody talked before Monty about Citroen coming back. You know, they were going to take over where Volkswagen had left off, and they were nowhere. And it was a little bit the same this year. That you know, oh Hyundai, that's the big threat. You know, big budget, great team, great car. Um, and they again, they've kind of lost out, and it's Toyota that have stepped forward. Um, so that's the one thing that I take away. And also, Latvala talked an awful lot before um, about Tanek taking his time to settle in, and we were all thinking, you know, would this get under Yari Matti's skin? It it didn't. You know, he was completely relaxed about where Tanek was, which I was very surprised and very very impressed that Yari Matti had got that kind of mental strength to deal with with what was going on. Um, but for sure, you know, for me, they're going to be the, the big threat in Sweden and going forward. To, to add to that as well, I completely agree with all that. Um, the only other thing I'd add is, I think for me, this feels like the first time I've really believed that Chris Meek is a, you know, a genuine title contender or, or someone that could title contend if the Citroen is, is good enough for the year, for the, you know, the reasons that we did discuss earlier. That was a very sort of, that was a very OG-esque drive uh, from, from Meek, I thought. That's probably the biggest compliment I can, I can possibly mm. pay Chris Meek personally because... Um, you know, if, if you'd have seen Sebastian Auger do that last year, that would have been a really impressive result. And I think you can only give kudos to, to Chris for the performance that he's put in there. We talked about the fact that Auger only won two events last year. So did Chris. Look where the two of them ended up at the end of the year. If Chris can put more drives like this together, then he's much more likely to be a championship contender and be a lot further up the order. And, you know, I think he, as much as he's had a lot of criticism from a lot of rallying fans and people involved in the sport about how he has undertaken the way he goes about events in the sense that we've seen him push too hard. I think it's only fair to actually say at this point, that's a proper a proper drive from him. And as well, you know, the other thing we should look at as well is the amount of Chris drove very well, um, but also, you know, Breen at times drove very well. He had a, probably more problems than anybody else with the brake problem and, and, and everything else. And, and okay, it's not reflected in the fact that he finished ninth. Um, but again, he drove very well with his head. Uh, and at times, certain splits, he showed great speed uh, in condition by far the worst of the conditions. Well, it's certainly a worthy way to start the season. It's created some interesting storylines to follow. I think the next event, Rally Sweden on February the 15th. Yeah. David, you will be out there in the uh, some very good snow, I think you said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Very yeah, good, good snow banks. So try and keep your hire car out <laughs> of them. So thanks very much, Jack Benyon and David Evans, for your insights. Of course, you can follow all the latest news from the WRC on autosport.com and also there'll be news on F1 and the whole rest of the world of motorsport on there. Check out Autosport Plus subscriber area for in-depth insight from such expert writers as David Evans about what's going on in the world of motorsport. And also Thursday's Autosport magazine, which has David's in-depth WRC report. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast.
Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. American Giant does things the hard way, but that's because it's the right way. By choosing to manufacture all of its clothes in the United States, American Giant supports local communities and produces the highest quality goods on the market. Ten years ago, they went against the grain and imagined making a hoodie of unbelievable quality locally, one that would hold up for years and get better with each wear. They did just that, and now they have a full range of durable essentials for men and women, including tees, premium sweaters, cozy sweats, and so much more. The best part? Everything is American-made to the highest standards, supporting hardworking communities, living wages, and safe working conditions. So you can buy your values and fill your closet with long-lasting clothes you can feel great about. Wear your values in the new year. Complete with durable essentials at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off with code NY23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Code NY23. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.